The following episode of Annals on Call is brought to you by Annals of Internal Medicine. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts and participants during this episode are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of the American College of Physicians, the editors of Annals of Internal Medicine, or the institutions that the speakers are affiliated with unless so identified. All relevant financial relationships have been mitigated. Information contained herein should never be used as a substitute for clinical judgment. For more episodes, links to CME and MOC, or to view disclosures, visit go.annals.org slash on-call. Subsequent analysis we've done, I think, just adds to the potential harms from aspirin in the setting of primary prevention uh, with increasing risk of anemia and iron deficiencies. Welcome to Annals on Call, a podcast based upon articles from the Annals of Internal Medicine in which we discuss the implications of the article for you, the listener. This is Dr. Bob Centaur. I'm Professor Emeritus at the University of Alabama at Birmingham and former chair of the Board of Regents for the American College of Physicians. This episode of Annals on Call features an article titled Effect of Low-Dose Aspirin versus Placebo and Incidence of Anemia in the Elderly, a Secondary Analysis of the Aspirin in Reducing Events in the Elderly Trial. Joining us on the podcast is the first author of the paper, Dr. Zoe McQuilton, who's a consultant hematologist at Monash Health, which is in Melbourne, Australia. We hope that you learn about anemia, iron deficiency, and the chronic use of low-dose aspirin. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Zoe, thank you so much for your willingness to be on the podcast with us. I was intrigued by uh, your study that showed that low-dose aspirin did have an effect on iron deficiency and anemia. And I want to go into that a little bit more because I think that it's something that makes sense, but is not obvious. So maybe we could talk about the randomized controlled trial of low-dose aspirin, understand why you had a cohort of patients that were randomized to be able to try to figure this problem out. So why don't you start with that? Okay, so ESPRI, or the Aspirin in Preventing Events in the Elderly Trial, was a large primary prevention trial of aspirin um, in healthy older individuals. So Esprit enrolled over 19,000 um, people who were aged o- mostly over 70 years uh, who were free from major disease, including cardiovascular disease, and they were randomised to low-dose aspirin or placebo and low-dose aspirin, uh, 100 milligrams daily. The primary endpoint for Esprit was disability-free survival, and the primary result of the trial showed that aspirin didn't prolong disability-free survival, but it did increase the risk of major bleeding. Now, as part of the trial, all of the participants had a full blood count done at study entry, and then they had annual hemoglobin measurement um, during the course of the trial because of the concern about major bleeding. Uh, And so that gave us the opportunity to look at the development of anemia during the course of the trial and also changes in haemoglobin longitudinally. And we were also uh, fortunate that the um, Esprit investigators had also set up a biobank. So a large number of participants provided a peripheral blood sample at study entry 
you know, prior to or very close to commencing aspirin and then a follow-up peripheral blood sample at around year three after randomization. And after the trial was completed, we used those samples to measure ferritin levels and that allowed us to look at the development of iron deficiency as well. That's great. Let's talk about iron deficiency first. What numbers did you use to define iron deficiency? Yeah, it was difficult because there isn't like a well-defined or accepted standard for iron deficiency in older individuals. So we we looked at um, iron deficiency in three ways. First, we just looked at ferritin as a continuous variable, uh, and then we categorised it using two different definitions. One was the definition that's proposed by the American Gastroenterological Association, which is a ferritin of less than 45 milligrams per litre. And then we also used a higher threshold of 100 milligrams per litre, which we know has been used in some interventional studies of iron replacement in older individuals. So you just looked at ferritin, you didn't do iron and iron binding capacity or anything like that? Yeah, no, we didn't have any other parameters, just ferritin. Great. Okay, so we have hemoglobins and we have ferritin. Uh, Those are the two main outcome variables. So given that... Let's say I'm either, well, I happen to be a hospitalist. I was once a primary care physician. Both groups are going to be very interested in this, uh, as will many subspecialists. Go over the results and, and what the numbers look like, and then we can talk about why we should care. So overall, the risk of developing anemia by five years was approximately 20% in the placebo group compared to approximately 23.5% in the aspirin group. Um, And so that resulted in an increased rate of developing anemia in aspirin by approximately 20%. Let let me interrupt you. What's the definition of anemia? So anemia, we use the WHO uh, cutoff, which is 130 for um, men, 120 for women. And how does that translate for those of us in the United States who don't use those numbers, do you oh, know? So 13 and milligrams 12. per deciliter, I think. Yeah, yeah, sorry, 13 and 12. 13 and 12, uh, okay. So that's the WHO definition for anemia, which we used. Um, and so that means if you followed a 1,000 people for one year, if given placebo, 43 will develop anemia um, compared to 52 if they were given aspirin. We also saw in all participants a decline in hemoglobin over the five years, but the rate of decline in hemoglobin was slightly steeper in participants who received aspirin. Did you look at anemia as a continuous variable or only as a yes-no variable? Yeah, we calculated incident anemia just using the, the WHO definition. We didn't look at a more severe category of anemia. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we did look at hemoglobin as a continuous variable. Firstly, that, you know, in these you know healthy individuals, their hemoglobin did decline over five years, um, but it was a faster or a steeper decline in um, participants who received aspirin. Now we're going to look at iron. And so we have two different definitions of the fer- ferritin cutoff for iron. What do you find there? Looking at ferritin at a cutoff of 45 milligrams per litre, there was a higher proportion of participants in the aspirin group who met that definition of iron deficiency. So 13% in the aspirin group compared to 9.8% in placebo. And similarly, there was a higher proportion who met the definition of iron deficiency using a cutoff of 100 milligrams per litre. So that was 39% in the aspirin group 
compared to 31% uh, in the placebo group. And then when we looked at ferritin just as a continuous variable, we saw that participants who were allocated aspirin um, had a greater decrease in their ferritin levels compared to those on placebo, which was approximately 11.5% greater in the aspirin group compared to placebo. I just thought of an, uh, an interesting part, and I know, I know that you addressed this. So one of the results of the study was you had more major bleeds. Were those people included in, in the definition of anemia, or did you exclude those people? And how, how did you deal yeah. with that? We included all participants in the analysis that we had hemoglobin measures for and ferritin measures for, but we were concerned that maybe the major, the excess of major bleeding that we know occurs from aspirin might have contributed to this greater decline in hemoglobin and incidence of anemia. So we did a, a sensitivity analysis where we treated clinically significant bleeding as a competing risk, and we still saw the similar results with the greater incidence of anemia, greater decline in hemoglobin, and greater decline in ferritin. Okay. So you had more major bleeding. Was there also more minor bleeding? Well, we didn't measure minor bleeding as an outcome in the study. So um, the definition of bleeding that was the endpoint in the trial was you know, bleeding that led to hospitalization, transfusion, or prolonged hospitalization or led to surgery or death. But we didn't have any measures around minor bleeding. So that's what we think that possibly is um, might have contributed to this increased risk of anemia and iron deficiency is um, less apparent or occult bleeding that wasn't clinically um, significant, wasn't seen, you know, deemed to be clinically significant. So, the, and the, there's no reason to think that taking a low dose aspirin would affect iron absorption or anything like that? Not that I'm aware of. So I think the, the most likely I mean, we saw there was a progressive separation in the cumulative incidence of anemia during the course of the study, uh, as well as that sort of steady decline in hemoglobin. So we think that there was progressive development of anemia with increasing duration of treatment. And we think, I mean, we don't know the mechanism from our study. We, we didn't have any other sort of correlative studies that could provide insights into that. But we hypothesize that it's probably you know, low-grade occult bleeding that's contributing to that and the development of iron deficiency sort of supports that and the mechanism of aspirin um, with its effect on platelets and increased risk of bleeding and, and gastrointestinal bleeding sort of is, is what we hypothesize. Was there any any other such data before this study or is this the first study that actually you could have looked at this problem? There have been other primary prevention aspirin trials, but None of them have um, looked at in such a large number of their participants and in a systematic way the development of anemia. And we hadn't, there hasn't been similar data looking at aspirin. There's some older studies that have measured, you know, uh, blood loss in stool in, in studies of aspirin to show that there's, you know, slightly increased, you know, occult blood loss, but not in a large trial like this. So, what should we make of this? I have friends who've been taking low-dose low aspirin for years because we told them they should take low-dose aspirin to decrease the risk of uh, having a, a, a myocardial infarction. And that doesn't seem to hold up in this study. Should we just tell everybody to stop taking aspirin unless you really need aspirin for some reason? Yeah, so, I mean, this trial was in primary prevention and, you know, the primary results of the Esprit trial showed that 
as I mentioned, it didn't um, prolong disability-free survival, but it did increase major bleeding. And this subsequent analysis we've done, I think, just adds to the potential harms from aspirin in the setting of primary prevention uh, with increasing risk of anemia and iron deficiency. So, um, But it, it doesn't apply to the potential benefits of aspirin for secondary prevention. So um, this, is, this is really only around primary prevention, but I guess um, people who are taking aspirin for secondary prevention, we just need to be aware that a potential effect may be, uh, you know, uh, low-grade bleeding and the risk of anemia and iron deficiency, and clinicians should just be aware of that and, and monitor their patients. I was sitting here thinking, I'm, I'm putting a couple things together, and, and uh, excuse me if I'm going way out on a limb. We certainly give aspirin to people who've had myocardial infarctions, uh, whether they're NSTEMIs or STEMIs. We know that those people are more likely to have heart failure with reduced ejection fraction. We also know that iron deficiency is a bad thing for people with heart failure with reduced ejection fraction and that giving them IV iron improves their clinical outcomes. So it seems like even though this study is not meant to show that, that's that this is there's some evidence that we should be even more aggressive in people who are taking it in secondary prevention just to make sure that we're not getting going down that road because it might be harmful to the heart as well as it's not good to be iron deficient in general. Yeah, while this study was in the setting of primary prevention, okay. the fact that we found this effect of, of aspirin um, does raise the the need to you know monitor you know iron and hemoglobin more closely in patients that are taking um taking aspirin for secondary prevention and they have other reasons to develop anemia as well often those patients you know with other comorbidities so yeah there is some um, clinical significance of this i don't know if you can answer this question because uh, i'm making this one up uh, but in the u.s we usually use 81 milligrams instead of 100 milligrams is there any reason to think there'd be any difference between 81 milligrams and 100 milligrams of aspirin i, I don't think so i think it um it'd be similar what, what did I not ask you that I should have asked you? I guess the other thing that, um, well, maybe the, the, the questions that we still want to uh, address in our study following on from this um, is just the, the you know, this observation of a declining haemoglobin with increasing age and what the significance that is for, for people. I mean, these were healthy, um, a healthy population at the start of the study. So does that have implications for their quality of life, functional outcomes? And it's in hematology, it's an area of interest because large population studies that have looked at anemia and older um, individuals, approximately a third of cases we can't find the cause for that. And so whether we can use the Esprit study some in some future studies to um, provide some insights into, you know, what's happening uh, in, with um, anemia in this population what are, and what are the other factors contributing to it in addition to um, the excess risk from aspirin that we've seen as part of the trial. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's a fascinating finding. It all makes sense now, but it didn't make sense before before I read the article. So that's the type of article I like when it, it opens up my mind. And thank you for opening up my mind. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Now it's time for Bob's Pearls. This article 
to me is very important because for so many years we thought that taking one small aspirin per day was benign but might have positive impacts on coronary artery disease and even perhaps some other chronic conditions. The study that allowed Dr. McQuilton and her colleagues to do this analysis showed both that a small dose of aspirin, in their case 100 milligrams per day, led to increased major bleeding and, as this study reports, an increase in iron deficiency and an increase in significant anemia. These findings make one cautious about the use of aspirin, even though it's so widely used in cardiovascular disease. It makes me wonder how closely we should be monitoring our coronary artery disease patients who are on a small dose of aspirin for the possibility of iron deficiency. I love this study because it makes me think in a different way about something that I've thought about for so many years. Hope you learned something. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Information contained herein should never be used as a substitute for clinical judgment. For more episodes, links to CME and MOC, or to view disclosures, visit go.annals.org slash on call.